everyone. Welcome to episode 120 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we are here today with a very special guest. Longtime listeners may remember this gentleman's voice. We're with Russell Gray of the YouTube channel Ink and Paper Blog. Russell was our guest on episode 51. And we've also done a YouTube video with Russell as part of our 2020 Stuck at Home series. Actually, that was our Couch Biblio Adventure series. I should use the proper name. Uh, But we're here today to talk with Russell about each of our top 10 reads of 2020. Thank you guys for having me. So excited. Back on the book, Cougars. So nice to have you here. And Russell, before we mic'd up, Russell told us that he actually ordered his books from one to 10, which is so impressive to me. I'm thrilled that I just was able to whittle it down to 10. I couldn't possibly put it in an order. So go for it, Russell. We're proud of you. (laughs) Yeah, we're totally proud. How long did it take you to do that, Russell? Well, so I started in November creating my list and it was probably like 30 books that were sort of like things that I was thinking about and I've been whittling it and whittling it. I don't make my top 10 until the very end because one of the books in this list I read last week. So I make sure that I give myself the whole year and then it was really difficult because one of them had to go because this new book had sort of made its way. So I made the final 10 minutes before this, but I had nine of them set (laughs) for about a week and a half. That's great. And listeners, just so you know, it's December 29th, 8 p.m. Central time as we're central time, 8 (laughs) p.m. Eastern time as we're recording this. I know, you know, we all we're such avid readers. We could all have one more book under our belt. So this could be trouble. We might might be revising our list January 1st. We'll see. I know (laughs) I'm filming my video the morning of January 1st for my channel where I'll do my top 10 just in case. I don't think anything's going to change, but just in case. Emily, let me ask you, how long did it take you to figure out your top 10? You know, it didn't take me long. And I'm usually the one that just struggles and struggles with this. But I opened up my Goodreads reading challenge for the year. And seemingly, it just happened really seamlessly for me. But I didn't try to order them. I think if I tried to order them, I would have spent another day trying to figure that out. But my list came together really quickly. How about you, Chris? Yeah, You know, mine came together pretty quickly, too. I started jotting down a list of the books from memory that stuck with me and I had 10 I thought well this is a really great list because I have to say 2020 although there there were a lot of books that I started and just didn't just put down because of my brain I had a really great reading year so there were tons of good books and I opened up my goodreads to see everything I read and like there were a couple books I was like oh my god how did I forget about that book (laughs) which begs the question now was that book all of that if my sitting down making a list brain didn't remember it oh I think it was because I can't remember anything (laughs) so I mean I'm impressed that you remembered 10 just off the cuff that you know stuck with you so yeah there's some really good ones so what I did was I put them on index cards and I kind of shuffled it because I didn't put them in any order either. Well, I can shuffle my stack. I don't have oh, to. No. Oh, no. no. Now, that you, now that you've said that, Russell, we want to know. We want the yes. ranking. 
No, uh, it's I, I don't know about you guys. Sometimes I have an issue where I can't remember what I read this year. Like I'll have a book that's just stuck with me and then I'll realize, oh, I read that three years ago though. I feel mm -hmm. like I read it yesterday because it's just had such an impact. Yeah. And so I have to go through my Goodreads because sometimes I get a little jumbled um, mm -hmm. of what I read actually in the physical year that we're in. So yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I found one that was on my written list, just my brainstorming list that wasn't on my Goodreads list that I never put oh. on there. And it's like one of my favorite now books of all time. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So a little administrative error. Totally. I need a, an assistant that <laughs> yes, a Goodreads that's right. assistant. <laughs> I need a life assistant. Can we broaden the, the job description a little bit? <laughs> So everyone, how this is going to work is Russell's going to start us off. Is round robin the right word, the right term to say that we're going to go in kind of yeah. a cycle. So it's going to be Russell, Emily, Chris. At the end, you'll have heard at least 30 books mentioned. That's right. Get ready. And of course, these will all be in the show notes. So you don't have to write them down as we go. Right. So I'm going to throw in my tagline, people, so that you guys know it. So get out your pen, get out your paper, get out your Goodreads, because we're going to make your TBR explode. Right That's on. what's going to happen yes. here today. <laughs> I have my notes, because I'm sure you guys are going to talk about a book that I haven't read yet. And I have some holiday gift card money waiting to be spent. <laughs> nice. So. Ooh, right great. on. All right, All Russell, right. you want to start us off? Yes, yes. So I am going to go in order. So this is the 10th book of the year. And so I'm going to talk about Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. This is out from Pantheon. And you guys may know that this won the National Book Award this year. And this is just a story of a young Chinese man in America. And it deals with the different issues regarding race and racial profiling for Asian Americans, all centered around the, the idea of Asian people in film. And it's actually written like a screenplay. Mm. And it talks about like sort of the different hierarchy of type of Asian in film. And it's really about family and perception and also about how Asian Americans feel we as Americans view them. So it's one of those books that I read and I thought, did I get that? But I've never stopped thinking about it. Not, not once. It comes up in my head at least every day. So my 10th book of the year is Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. Wow, that sounds really good. My book, one of my top 10s is The Revisioners by Margaret Wilkerson Sexton. This is a book that I kind of can't believe hasn't gotten a lot more attention than it got. And I don't know if it, I haven't bothered to look and see if it had something to do with when it came out, because it did come out in 2019. And if there was a ton of competition or something, but anyway, it's told from two points of view. One of the characters is a biracial single mom in 2017, so modern day. And then um, the other character is a former sharecropper who becomes a land owning farmer and a widow back in 1924. And it really deals with the idea of trauma passed down through generations and racism and microaggressions and things like that in a very complicated family dynamic. I loved this book, loved it. The Revisioners by Margaret Wilkerson Sexton. 
that was my 2019 book of the year. That was my last year. And she's local to me and she is phenomenal. Really? Phenomenal. Sorry, I just want to throw that in. No, that's great. And that's a, it's a good point too, to say that our top 2020 reads may not have been published in 2020. Exactly. So we just want to clarify that for people. These are books that we read regardless of what year. Mm -hmm. Um, And my first book that I'll talk about is from 2019. It's The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics by Olivia Waite. And this is a lesbian romance. And I, uh, when I was in grad school, I did a a focus on lesbian literature, which was really rough because I did that in the 1990s. And so much of the earlier lesbian literature was very depressing and it was hard to find a happy ending. It was hard to find a book without gay bashing or rape in it. So when I heard about this, you know, that there are lesbian romances now, I thought, well, I'm gonna give that a try because the traditional romance, it may have some strife and difficulty, but it's all about the love and the two people getting together at the end. Olivia Waite was in an event through Bank Square Books, and I couldn't make it to that event, but Alyssa Sweet was kind enough when I expressed interest and regret that I couldn't be there to send me a copy that she had autographed by Olivia. And this story is about two women in, I think it's, gosh, the early 19th century who are into science. They don't know one another. There's a little bit of an age difference. One of their dads dies. The other woman is independently wealthy. And they come together because of this scientific project. It was pretty cool. So if you're into science, you want a nice romance, I highly recommend The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics by Olivia Waite. Sounds excellent. Okay, is it my turn again? Yeah, book two. Okay, book number nine on my list is Cleanness by Garth Greenwell. So this book is a little hard to describe, but it's sort of like auto fiction. You kind of always feel like Garth Greenwell is really telling his own story, but it's about a teacher in Bulgaria that teaches English and he's getting ready to come home. He's ready, getting ready to leave Bulgaria. So each chapter is almost like a story about a different relationship he's had there. And he sort of investigates how that relationship has changed him before he leaves the country of Bulgaria. Garth Greenwell is very, like, he's like a writer. Every sentence has meat and substance to it. He also is a little bit, and I say a little bit in quotation, he is risque, so I will put that caveat out there. But he talks about how he wants to take away the stigma regarding sex in literature. So he tries to make and elevate it, and it is vital to the importance of his characters. But he is one of those writers that when you read his books, you just know that like he's just crafting that sentence. And I read him out loud or mm-hmm. I listen to the audiobook while I read him because he reads his own books. And it just, there's just a wave of just like pure literary magic over you. So my ninth book of the year is Cleanest by Garth Greenwell. So is that, is the title like a play on words because it's, super sexy risque yes it is and it's about that idea of when experiences come on you and you utilize them who you are how do you get rid of them when they're negative and how do you utilize them for a positive so you feel sort of refreshed maybe after Mm. the experience regardless of what it was 
Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And then Bulgaria, like his name sounds pretty American, right? So, yeah, so is... he taught English in Bulgaria for years. Okay. He went over there and taught English. And I believe that's where he met his husband and all of that. So, and he speaks fluent Bulgarian. He's one, okay. I saw him in person in conversation with Aro Kwan in San Francisco. And it was just like listening to intellectual heavyweights just go. <laughs> Um, and um, it was it was fantastic. So I highly recommend it. It is a little risque. It might not be for everybody, but I challenge people to read it and understand the importance of that part of the narrative. My next book is Transcendent Kingdom by Yad Yassi. This is a book that I said was going to win every award and it hasn't won a single award. So don't go play the lottery on my recommendation. <laughs> but I thought it was a fantastic book and so well written and I can't believe this is another one I'm like why isn't this getting more attention so this is about Gifty who is studying neuroscience at Stanford and she's specifically studying about reward seeking behavior in monkeys not in monkeys in mice I'm sorry around um, addiction and depression and then the um, other kind of the way that the story weaves is back through her childhood where she and her family that are Ghanaian immigrants end up in Alabama, I believe, and um, how they relate to the town they're living in and their mother's um, depression and her brother's addiction. And I thought it was so well-written and the way that she wove the story was really interesting. And it particularly was meaningful to me about how Gifty is the person in the family that's kind of bearing witness to her family members' struggles with addiction and mental illness. And that's a, a story that's not always told, particularly around the immigrant experience. So Transcendent Kingdom. Yeah, Jassy, and this book did come out in 2020. So next up for me is one that I have talked about a lot on the podcast. It's Harriet Beecher Stowe, A Life by Joan D. Hedrick. This came out in 1995 from Oxford University Press and it won the Pulitzer. It's a big book. It's 544 pages and like you feel every page <laughs> of those 544 in a good way because she packs so much into this biography. It's a birth to death biography of Harriet Beecher Stowe. And it's so thorough. As with most like really great biographies, she brings to life the time period as well as Harriet Beecher Stowe herself. So you really get a sense of the culture that she was born into, how the culture changed over the decades of her life. She was born in New England, but spent a good chunk of her adulthood in Ohio, which was frontier country at that time, and then came back eventually to New England. It's just a fascinating look at her life and the time period. I highly recommend it. It's a book that I, I think at first I was trying to read too fast, and I finally just slowed down and realized it was going to take a while. And then I just gave myself over to it and really enjoyed it. And it, it's a book I think about regularly. It could be in part because, well, at least the house where Laura and I used to live, I drove past Harriet Beecher Stowe's aunt and uncle's house where she spent some time throughout her life and go for walks where the family plot is. So great book. 
a great life, great writer, Harry Beecher Stowe, A Life by Joan D. Hedrick. And I remember that's the book, Chris, I remember you talking about that you did kind of take a pause and start reading it a chapter a day, or when you sat down, you would just read a chapter. And I tackled some nonfiction this way, that way this year too. And I thought that was really smart. Sometimes with nonfiction, I pick it up and I'm like, I'm just going to read this like a novel from start to finish. But really, you know, you can sit with them and think about them a little bit. Right. It's funny this year. um, I don't have any nonfiction in my list. Um, I read some amazing memoirs this year. Memoir is usually where I sit my nonfiction. That's where I usually are. But it really was fiction that got me through 2020, um, Mm -hmm. the escape of fiction. So I really gave over this year to not try to force a nonfiction in the list, but I'm always so impressed with the nonfiction that you, uh, you two read because it's so beyond me. Like I could never read a biography of Harriet Beecher Stowe. <laughs> There'd be no way. I'm not smart enough. So I'm always- Oh, oh that's, <laughs> not no, that's not true at all. one second. Yeah. <laughs> See, for me, nonfiction was a better go-to this year, I think, you know, and I'm sure my memory's all whacked out, but I- had a hard time sometimes giving myself over to a novel and having the patience to sink into it. I think I was looking for escapism and that worked for me, but I could mm-hmm. totally see it working the other way too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 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 So uh, 2020 had enough reality for me. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> that is for sure. So I think I'm on book eight and I actually think this is very much a Chris Wolak book. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk about The Great Offshore Grounds by Vanessa Veseleka, and I can never say her name. I don't speak Ukrainian, but I've been told the word for rainbow in Ukrainian is her last name. So, and this is a book that is about family. It's the story of two sisters. It has a lot of representation regarding family and also one of the main characters is a lesbian coming into her own sexuality and dealing with never really allowing herself to feel a companionship that she wants to maintain until she meets that special someone. But what we have is we have two sisters who have been raised by sort of their hippy-dippy mother, and they were both um, raised in a commune. And they know that they have two different mothers because their father was married to two women when they were born. But the other mother didn't want a child, so she left both babies with one of the women. And it's the beginning of the book, the father's getting married, the mother has never told them anything about this other woman. They go to the wedding and it's the first thing the father says, he gives them the name. And it starts this journey. One of them feels like she needs to know this woman because it will explain all of the bad decisions that she's made in her life. And she's just getting out of a marriage and she's just on the hunt. The other woman goes to Alaska and becomes a fisherman on a boat and she does crab sea fisherman and she meets a woman and develops a relationship that way and it's all about their relationship with each other this imaginary mother and their own mother as they come into terms with the women they are going to be in their 30s and 40s I haven't read anything in a family narrative like this in ages but it also just did such a wonderful job of dealing with you know, the queer representation and coming into your sexuality. And it was so unique. Like she's a boating person and she winds up on a boat. That's like one of those history boats, like doing the, the sails and the rope and all that kind of stuff. And it's so cool. It's a heartbreaker of a book at times. You definitely will cry. Um, if you're close to your mom, I think you'll have a lot of sympathy throughout the thing, but I 
loved this book and it's a chunkster i think let me see it's like five uh, no it's only 450 pages i read it in like three days like i flew through it and i absolutely loved it so that's the great offshore grounds by vanessa vesolka and it's out from Knopf, and mm -hmm. it is amazing so i need to go ding 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 <laughs> Because Emily talked about that book on a recent episode and it does sound really great. Yeah. I wonder if it's on Emily's top 10. <laughs> it's not, should I say? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't love it that way, Russell. It's interesting. I mean, I thought it was a good book. I thought she tried to do a little bit too much. That oh. was my only complaint with it, but amazing writer. And I did enjoy the story. I didn't read it in three days. It took me longer than that. You must be a very fast reader because it was very dense, I thought. Yeah, but she, yeah. she also, the author is very interesting. I listened to an interview with her and wow, she's lived a lot of different lives. And I think that's kind of what came to pass in the book, right? Yeah. I um, talked about her book online and she reached out to me on Twitter and she was so thankful and so sweet and I was like I have to see you in person sometime so <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping that I'll be able to maybe 2022 they'll start off their events <laughs> and I'll be able to see these people so because she's in the she's on uh, Russell's in California and Vanessa Vasaka's in I want to say Portland or Portland, Seattle yes. yeah, yeah 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 she's in your side of the country well my next book is The Prettiest Star by Carter Sickles this book broke my heart, but it was so good and so well-written. It's about Brian Johnson, who, uh-oh, spoiler. <laughs> Listeners can't see what we're no, they know. about. It's a little it's, secret. Isn't that awful? <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> it's about Brian Johnson, who grew up in a small town in Ohio, a little Appalachian town, very close to where I actually grew up. And after high school, he fled his small town, went to the Big Apple to live the life he wanted to live, and then uh, falls in love with a man and is living very happily when sadly the AIDS epidemic comes to town. And his partner passes away and he, Brian, ends up going back home to a place he hasn't returned to since he left, to a family who doesn't accept him and doesn't even acknowledge his illness. There's a wonderful relationship between him and his grandmother that I adored. It speaks to me. Yes. And it was just an incredibly brave and well-written book, I thought. One I've not stopped thinking about since I read it. The Prettiest Star by Carter Sickles. And I believe it might have been a debut. I might be wrong. No, it's about his that. it's his second book. Okay. Um his first book I, I need to read, but was turned into a film. Oh. So it's done very well. And that book was published by Hub City Press. I just want to throw that out there because they're a small independent press in South Carolina. And they produce amazing books. So definitely take a look at them if you're looking for stuff that you aren't hearing in the mainstream because they are phenomenal. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to shuffle my cards. Tell me when to stop. <laughs> stop. Stop. All right. My, oh, my next book. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to pick a favorite, this one might be it. <laughs> uh, the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by 
Grady Hendrix. Not surprised to hear this one. On I adore <laughs> this book. It came on April 2020 from Quirk Books. Grady wanted to write a tribute to his mom and put her against one of his favorite fictional characters, Dracula. It's his, you know, 1960s, 70s mom going up against the vampire who moves into town. It's set in South Carolina. I felt like he really brought some of the richness of the culture to life. And I love the character of the vampire, which was, he was very different kind of character. And then the mom was just fantastic because here she is doing everything for everyone. And on top of it, a vampire comes to town and she's kind of the only one who knows what the hell's going on. It was, it's a very funny novel, but there are some really gross, awful things that happen. And the first awful, gross thing that happened, I was kind of surprised. I was like, well, that's taken a dark turn. And then something else happened. And I was just like, holy crap, that's one of the darkest scenes I've read in a long time. So there are at least three humdingers in there. Just a fun novel for, for vampire fans, for sure. Um, again, that's The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. And I think it won the Goodreads Award for Horror this year, if I'm not mistaken. It was very popular. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it came in April, it came out. So I think people wanted something that was funny and escapist and a little bit familiar too, because people of a certain age can relate to a mom and the kids of that time period. Uh, the, I should say the mom, she is married to a doctor who's unavailable emotionally. They have two kids, a network of friends, and everyone gets drawn into this web, the vampire's web. Um, have you read anything else by him, Chris? Do you know what? I had the book of his that was the covers of horror stories, of horror novels, I should say. But I um, think you should check out My Best Friend's Exorcism. It's like an 80s movie and it looks like an 80s VHS tape. Yeah. Everyone <laughs> I know that's read it says it's even better than this one and will make you oh. laugh. And All right. I'll, I'll try that one again. I did pick it up at one point and I just maybe wasn't in the mood for it because it was like, you know, it's two girls, two 80s girls. And maybe I was just like, oh my God, maybe I didn't want to deal with my 80s self at that time. I was going to say, you don't want to relive those years. <laughs> <laughs> but I will give it a try because I really I like his sense of humor yeah. yeah okay well the next book on my list I hope is on Emily's list and I know we'll get Chris's approval and that is the Museum of Modern Love by Heather Rose now Emily and I are in a book club and we had the absolute honor of talking to Heather Rose about this book for with our book club and she is a phenomenal lady. She was so charming and so warm. And this book blew my mind. You guys may not know this about me, but I'm not a person that needs a lot of plot. I need atmosphere, I need characters, and I need thought. And the Museum of Modern Love really did that for me. It's focused around an exhibit at the MoMA, and I always say her name wrong, so you guys will have to help me. The artist's name, Marina Abramovich. Is that how you say your name? Yeah, that sounds good. And great. in this exhibit, she just sits at a table across the way from people and they get an experience of not saying anything and just looking into each other's eyes. And it's about how different people sort of interact with this experience. I found it moving and powerful and thoughtful 
and just awe-inspiring as far as the way that the writing made me just disappear into an art exhibit in a way I'd never done before. I thought it was brilliant and um, I loved it. So yeah, that's the Museum of Modern Love by Heather Rose. And she's an Australian. Yes, writer. she lives in Tasmania. Yeah, Tasmania, yes. right. Yeah. So she called in from Tasmania to chat with us. It was really cool. <laughs> and I have to say it made a really great book group discussion because we had some very different opinions about <laughs> aspects of the book. So um, uh, we, we had a great conversation. You know, we, we talked to the author and then once she left the conversation, we all chatted some more about it. So. Yeah, such a good read. I love that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Such, such a good, good book. Um, my next book is going to be familiar to Chris because I believe it was on one of her top 10 lists years ago and it's Shelter by Jung Yun. Yeah. And this is, we did this as a buddy read this year as well. And we got to interview her and this book is, was just such a thriller and so captivating. It came out in 2016. So it's readily available now in paperback if you want to get it that way. And it's a story of a young Korean couple, I believe. Is that right? He's Korean and she's of Irish descent. She's right. Yeah. Right. Korean family, I should say. And they're struggling financially. And then uh, something traumatic occurs with, I can't remember the character's name, Kyung's parents. And this tragedy causes, I don't want to issue any spoilers here, but causes him to um, have to confront some issues with his parents and the story weaves back into his childhood and talks about how available his parents were to him as a child. There is some abuse, so trigger warning for people about that. But it was a mystery, a thriller, and just really brilliantly written, I thought. Again, Shelter by Jung Yun. Great book. Did you read that one, Russell? I haven't read it. Okay. It's on my shelf. I have mm -hmm. it. I've had it since 2000. I believe that book also won the Reading Women Award, that podcast's book mm -hmm. of the year a few years ago too. Yeah, so. it did. Yeah. I saw their their anniversary thing. They had some mm -hmm. a painter do a, a painting of their top. Great read. Love that book. Yeah. And it's I'm up again now. Yes. So I'm shuffling. <laughs> I'll stop here. Oh gosh. So this is a great book. I love it. Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Crosby. This came out in July, 2020 from Flatiron Books. And I don't, you know, this is something I saw people talking about it on Twitter before it came out. So I got the advanced reader copy. It is Southern noir, African-American crime fiction at its extreme most best. It is full of raw energy and just maleness. It's a very male novel. The main character is a guy who has a criminal past. He's married now with two kids with this wife. He has a child from a previous relationship and he's trying to do the right thing. He has his own business, his own mechanic shop. His mom is in a nursing home and he finds out they owe like $50,000. So he's being squeezed hard between that rock and a hard place. And of course, along comes temptation, somebody from his past wanting him to do one more job. And his job in the crime world was driving the getaway car. 
And that's part of the beauty of this book is the driving scenes. Like I said to Emily, when I first read this, like I'm not into cars and driving and chase scenes and everything. Usually those are things I just want to fast forward through in a movie and I'm not a skimmer in a book. So I read the whole thing and I fell in love with it. Like these getaway scenes and the way he described what was happening was really understandable to somebody who I drive, I could drive stick. I don't drive my car off bridges very often, um, but he described some great scenes. I could go on and on about that, but I'll stop. If you're looking for a really great mystery thriller, this you just have to pick this one up. You really it's do. It's gotten some great attention too. It's done really well. So. It's done amazingly well and it's going to be made into a film. Right which I think it's going to be a great film because it deals a lot with the racism and white supremacy and cultural, uh, cultural, not that, uh, class issues is the word I was looking for. And really like, how can you possibly get ahead? How can you possibly, you know, make it as a family when businesses are closing down left and right. That's one of the problems in the town where he lives. So many of the big businesses have just left and there's just not much left in terms of employment. So it touches on a lot of, a lot of uh, different issues. It's set in Virginia and North Carolina. I think I mentioned it's kind of like Southern Noir. So again, I, I feel like I could never do this book justice enough when I talk about it. Great characters, great sense of place, and great action. It's Blacktop Wasteland by S.A. Crosby. Wow. I've, I can see the cover in my head. I've seen that book everywhere. Yeah, so. yeah it's a cool cover. <laughs> you know, it's funny. If I had to say what the theme of my 2020 top 10 would be, I have really appreciated queer fiction this year, and I have a lot of it on my top 10. And this book Emily just talked about, but the next book on my list is The Prettiest Star by Carter Sickles. Um, I can say no more other than this book ripped my heart out. I'm one of those people at night, stressful day, I'll get in the bathtub, I'll finish my book, enjoy it, my husband walked in and he's like, why are you sobbing? And I'm like, <laughs> the prettiest star. It broke my yeah. heart. But the story of this man and his family, you know, going home to die. I often find as a gay man myself that the AIDS epidemic tends to be the only story of ours that is ever told. But sometimes someone will tell it in a way that just is just right. And it captures the horror of it but also the humanity and the relationship pieces and Carter Sickles does all of that while never taking away from the sort of the dignity of his characters and there's a grandmother in it you know I love myself a grandmother mm. I think they're great <laughs> and I also thought that the complicated relationship he had with his mother was really well done but it made me sob my eyes mm -hmm. out so fair warning yeah <laughs> um but that's the prettiest star by carter sickles emily sold it even better than i did but i oh, i don't know about it. that <laughs> yeah well i mean i also think that just the understanding of like small town mid-america and the homophobia it was i mean just really truly written and even with his relationship with his sister you know it's just really it's complicated yeah. So. You know, Carter Sickles is actually is a trans man and he is a professor and he teaches in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. 
And so if you follow him on any sort of social media, he talks a lot about, you know, being a trans gay man in the Midwest and what it's like now. Mm -hmm. So he has such a real understanding that when it, when it hits his writing, it's just bowls you over. Yeah. Next up for me is Separation Anxiety by Laura Zygman. This book came out in 2020. This book is laugh out loud funny, but poignant as well. It's about um, faltering marriage and um, a woman whose son is turning into a teenager, which is when your kids are basically, I'm just going to use the word heinous (laughs) and don't necessarily want anything to do with you, but you're trying to figure out how to live with that as a parent who, as I like to say to my kids, you used to need me to be alive. So, you know, it's sometimes it's hard to change gears, but she deals with a lot of her sadness and loss by carrying around the family dog in a baby sling. And just going everywhere with this dog in a baby sling. And it's really funny. I mean, it's not like you're making fun of her. You really understand what this is doing for her, even though her family might not want to understand why she's walking into the school auditorium, you know, wearing the dog, the family dog. But I really enjoyed it. I laughed. I cried. And um, Laura Zygman is a fantastic writer. One of the other arcs of the story is that the main character is a writer suffering from writer's block, mm-hmm. which Laura Zygman herself suffered from because she had like a big hit book and then had a really hard time writing her next book. Again, Separation Anxiety by Laura Zygman. That's great. All I could think about is trying to carry one of my dogs around. It would be like carrying a little calf around. Put it in a backpack. Right, yeah. Yeah. It's a good core workout. (laughs) Right, yeah. All right, so, oh, my next book, I just shuffled my little index cards. It's another biography, actually. Looking for Lorraine, The Radiant and Radical Life of Lorraine Hansberry. And this is by Imani Perry. It came out in 2018 from Beacon Press. And I listened to it as an audiobook. It was narrated by Lisa Gay Hamilton. And I really didn't know much about Lorraine Hansberry, other than that she wrote A Raisin in the Sun and was from Chicago. That's like all I knew about her. So this was a really great introduction to her life and times. It started, you know, I don't even remember how much of her childhood was in the book. I remember it kicking off from college days until her death. She was only in her late 30s when she died, unfortunately. And she was really involved in the writing scene and the communist scene, working for social justice, economic justice, and also called out a lot of people on their racist attitudes and ideals, um, like the the hipsters and um, the beat poets and their casual racism. She really called a lot of people out. She wrote a lot for journals as well as doing plays and, and more writing. And I look forward to reading more of her work because of this book. And again, it was the audio book. So I, I often feel like audio doesn't stick in me as much as a, a paper book does. So I look forward to getting my hands on a paper copy eventually and using that as a springboard to read more about her, some of the resources or sources that were used. Hansberry was married to a man, but identified as a lesbian and uh, had a complex 
but loving relationship apparently with her husband. I will stop talking about this book there, but it was Looking for Lorraine, The Radiant and Radical Life of Lorraine Hansberry by Imani Perry. I love how you shuffle your cards and then you're so pleasantly surprised by the book. Like <laughs> Almost like, if you don't know what's coming. I know. <laughs> it's like a little bit of Christmas. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, the next book on my list is The Office of Historical Corrections by Daniela Evans. Um, and this is actually a short story collection. So you should know I'm not much of a short story collection reader. But every once in a while, I'll read one and it will blow my mind. This may be the best short story collection I have ever read in my entire life. Um, it's a bunch of short stories and a novella. It's very hard for me to summarize short stories, but she is great with characters. She's great with language. Every story flips at the end and you're like, hey, what, what? No, you didn't. And you'll start right over. And she just, she deals with the black female experience. She deals with historical racism. She deals all of that but all in a fresh new way. She's very young and very vibrant and it comes through in her writing. Uh, Roxane Gay says on the back that she is the finest short story writer working today. And I hands down agree. Mm -hmm. This was one of the best things I read all year. So that's the His Office of Historical Corrections by Daniela Evans. You did a great job describing that, Russell. You know, I've been listening to that on audio and I keep, I have to keep rewinding and rewinding. And finally, I just decided just stop and just get the real book, you know, not that audiobooks aren't real books, but get the hard <laughs> copy. I mean, because I agree with you and she has amazing turns of phrase also, yes. and you just, you want to hear it again and again and again. So thank you for reminding me about that one. Cause I was about three quarters through it when I thought, get this book out and yes. read it. Yeah. Good. Well, my next uh, book is a set of short stories, Russell. That works right. Yes, it's a small <laughs> things to want stories by Shuli Suchtal Kaywood. Shuli's a good buddy of mine, and this was her debut short story collection that came out this year, 2020. It deals with love, basically, love in all shapes and sizes, and sometimes difficult decisions we have to make around love. I devoured this book on a plane ride my last plane ride of 2020, when I got a very quick trip in before I knew Armageddon was on its way. So I very much think about that book as, you know, like sitting in this plane, you know how I've talked about on the podcast that once my butt is in a plane seat, I don't want anyone to talk to me, even the gentleman caller who was sitting next to me. So, and by the end I had it tabbed up everywhere and all over the place, really beautiful writing. I highly recommend this book, A Small Thing to Want, Stories by Shuli Kaywood. Awesome. I need to get back to that one. I read the first story in that yeah. collection, which I loved. You know, I was doing a lot of short story reading, just kind of jumping around. It's been fun to read more short stories this year, yeah. but I haven't read a whole collection. Yeah, Shuli is a great writer. I really yeah. enjoy her, her work. All right, so another shuffle. Okay, this is another nonfiction book. It's a memoir. It's called We Need to Talk, a memoir about wealth by Jennifer Risher. This came out in May 2020 from Xeno Books. 
And I don't mean this to sound insulting. It's not like the best book that I've read. So it's not on my list because I think it's a fantastic memoir per se. It's a book that really made me start thinking differently about money, which is a really good thing. I feel like it's opened up my mind a little bit more about money and maybe giving me some tools to talk about money. She wrote this memoir to help people start talking about money and wealth. She's extremely wealthy. She made her money in the early days of um, Microsoft. Her husband worked for Microsoft. They had crazy stock. And then he worked for Amazon in the early days. So super wealthy. And neither Jennifer or her husband, they didn't come from wealthy backgrounds. They had typical middle-class childhoods and they found themselves being incredibly wealthy and learning how to deal with that wealth. I admire her for trying to write a memoir about being filthy rich to quote another book, <laughs> because I don't think it's easy. And I don't think wealthy people get much sympathy in our culture, because if you're rich, your problems and your struggles certainly can't be as bad as mine, I think is what a lot of people think. So again, that's We Need to Talk, a memoir about wealth by Jennifer Risher. Well, I'm going a completely different direction now. <laughs> this doesn't transition as well. So my friend Ryan, Ryan Ledman, you guys know Ryan, he and I host a monthly book club called the Spilling Tea Book Club. And he and I do a video every month and we host a Zoom call where we have a bunch of people from around the world, actually. We have people from Britain and we have a guy from Romania and we have people who get on our call. And we focus on women writers of the 20th century. And one of the books we read this year is one of those books where you are just so flabbergasted you haven't read it before. And that was The Street by Anne Petrie. This book blew my mind. And so many people were like, oh, you should read it. And I was like, oh, I'll get to it. And then I read it and I was like, how did I not? How did I not? This is the story of a single mother in 1940s New York, and she has decided to take her son, and she's going to move into her own place, and she's going to take him away from bad influences, and it is the that decision that puts her on a certain block, and she makes different decisions, all with the intentions, really, of improving her son's life but nothing ever goes the way that a single black woman in <laughs> New York wants it to go. The men in her life are awful and they ruin many a thing. And she just, life just does not want to give this poor woman a break. And it has one of the most jaw dropping endings I've ever read. And um, I will never forget it. I think it is a modern classic and I'm sad that not enough people have read it. I know that Miss Chris Wolak liked this book too. That's The Street by Ann Petrie. It was phenomenal. It's an amazing novel from the first pages. That's the way it opens up with all the paper blowing around the street. It's just amazing, um, beautiful writing. And the thing is too, like she, she decides to take her son because prior to moving with her son, she'd been a domestic servant in a home in Old Saybrook, Connecticut. By making that decision to be with her son more, she sacrifices the income that kept them apart. And that is such a part of the legacy of African-American domestic servitude in our country is that they're raising other people's children. 
and that might give them their family some economic support, but they're not with their families. And, and I think that's such an important part of the book. Yeah. Beautiful yeah. novel. Yeah, I need to read that one. Well, the next book on my list is one that I've read not too long ago and have thought about it every day since I read it. It's called Our Lady of Perpetual Hunger by Lisa Donovan. Lisa Donovan is both a chef and a James Beard award-winning essayist. She wrote an essay for Food and Wine magazine, I believe, about the Me Too movement in the restaurant industry that was really quite brilliant and garnered her a lot of attention and a James Beard award. And the book stretches from Donovan's early years as a military child in a military family, I should say, where she was introduced to interesting food in Germany and other places. Her family wasn't that interested in the food and the culture where they were living, but she really was from an early age. And eventually she ends up in the South and becomes a revered pastry chef in Southern restaurants. And what I thought was really brave about this book was that there were no recipes. It was really, she's a fantastic writer. She's always been a reader and it really shows in her writing. And she really took on the restaurant industry and women's role in the restaurant industry and how men throughout time have taken the work of women and as their own, taken ownership of women's work. So I loved it. I am a rabid fan of hers now. I follow her on all version of social media. She just started a newsletter, a subscription newsletter. I read them and watch her videos and cannot wait for her next book, which she says might be a memoir with recipes. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Again, Our Lady of Perpetual Hunger by Lisa Donovan. Right. Next up for me is Forever Amber by Kathleen Windsor. This book was published in 1944 by Macmillan, and it was a huge seller. It's also a huge book. It's 972 pages long. (laughs) I'm not dedicated to anything. (laughs) Well, Russell, this book, I read this book because I found out I was almost named Amber after this novel. My parents read it when they were pregnant with me. Yeah, so I was almost named Amber. So that's why I read this novel. I had never heard of it. We were on a road trip, Laura and I, with my mom. And Laura just asked the question like, so what other names did you consider for Christina, which is my given name? And that's how I learned about the novel. And I thought, well, I have to read the novel now. I can't not read it. It's set in um, the 1600s in England. And it is a epic novel about this girl's life. Amber, she's a girl at the beginning. At the end, she's a mature woman. She goes through every possible type of life that a woman in England in the 1600s could experience for the most part as a white woman. When did I read it, Emily? I read it like this summer sometime. I think it was part of your big book, summer big book Yeah, my big book summer. So like it kept my attention during the pandemic. There's actually a scene in the book during the plague where two characters have it. And I'll never forget those scenes of this one character caring for another character who has the plague and what is going on in London at that time. And it's just a really gritty book in some ways, but she goes from, she's in Newgate prison at one point at times, she's actually living in the court with the Royal, with the King and 
a really great snapshot of life in the 1600s. Kathleen Windsor did a ton of research writing this book. So it does give you an authentic feel, which I don't know what that means because I've never visited 1600 England. <laughs> I'm always curious when people say it, it really makes you feel like you're there. Like, how can you say that when you've never been there? But I'm saying it made me feel like I was there. Again, that's Forever Amber by Kathleen Windsor. Goodness. I don't think I've ever read a 900 page book. Totally. I, I read Shantaram this summer and that was <laughs> a lot of pages. Oh, I read Shogun in junior high. That may oh, be yeah. close. That, I yeah. think so. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. <laughs> so I know I talked about earlier how I don't usually make my list until the very, very end. And I had one book that I read last week that made the list. And it actually is an old title. It came out in 2007. And that's Call Me By Your Name by Andre Asiman. Now, this was just turned into a film that won tons of awards. So, but this is um, the story of the relationship between a young man and a slightly older man in Italy. And it's about young first love and the trying to figure out if someone likes you and you like them. And it's about the romance of it all, but it's all set in Italy where it's like beautiful and there's food and just beautiful imagery. And the writing is so vivid. I caveat it again, just like sort of Garth Greenwell, there's some you know risque scenes in this that may not be for everyone. Um, but to me that just, it rang with such truth and I just felt every page and I felt this this love between these two men and it just moved me like nothing I've read this year in this way in just a sheer romantic way and I thought it was beautiful I then watched the film and I'm not a movie person like I don't watch a lot of movies thinking I'm ever going to watch it again but I just could not say anything bad about it. It was perfect. It was a perfect film for me. Um, and I loved it. So Call Me By Your Name by Andre Asiman. This is from 2007 and it's out from Picador. I have never been able to eat a peach again without thinking about that movie. <laughs> I can understand that. It's very funny because, you know, we have some friends that have read it and had very visceral reactions to this book. Um, and for me, I just, I don't know. I read it in one day. Mm, I, it was yeah. that brilliant, so. I haven't read the book, but I thought the movie was spectacular. Spectacular. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. My next book is also a food memoir. I had a big food memoir year. It's called From Scratch, A Memoir of Love, Sicily, and Finding Home by Tembe Locke. I both listened to this on audio with audiobook and read it and Tembe Locke narrates. And this book was recommended to me by the author, Matthew Goodman. He had just judged that it was a Barnes and Noble, remember some Barnes mm -hmm. and Noble yeah. contest and this was one of the books. It's about a marriage between Tembe Locke and her husband, Sorrow. They met in Italy where Sorrow was from when Tembe was studying abroad. And they got married, much to Sorrow's Sicilian parents' dismay. And they moved stateside. They were very happily married, had a child, and Sorrow was diagnosed with cancer and passed away. And so the book deals a lot with Tembi's grief and how she handles that and going back to Italy so her daughter 
can, you know, know her grandparents and her family there. And she kind of gets to know her in-law family that didn't accept her after her husband's death. Beautifully written. And Tembe Locke is Attica Locke's sister. And she's an actress. And so she, I thought her narration of the story was really well done. And she obviously has writing chops like her sister. So I highly recommend this book. It did have some recipes in it as well. From Scratch, A Memoir of Love, Sicily, and Finding Home by Tem Baylock. I remember you talking about that one. That sounds really good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm only down to three index cards. So I'm going to go with Sudden Sea, The Great Hurricane of 1938 by R.A. Scotty. This book originally came out in 2003 by Back Bay Books. And it is now like one of my top nonfiction reads of all time. If I had to make a list of top 10 nonfiction books, this would definitely be on there towards the top. It is about the great hurricane of 1938 that devastated New England, hit New England by surprise. It's a storm that started, it hit Florida. It was just kind of a minor hurricane. And then by the time it got to Washington, DC, they kind of thought it was going to peter out. One of the weather analysts didn't think it would. He thought it was going to build and combine with the, another system and, and really cause destruction, but he was a new guy and young and overridden. So no warnings were ever sent to New England about a hurricane approaching. And the word hurricane wasn't something that most Americans even knew back then, if you could believe that. That was one of those shocking historical tidbits that I love reading nonfiction for. It was the most devastating natural event to ever hit New England. What I liked about the book were those historical tidbits about how weather was forecasted and there's some shipping action as well. Different historical personages are are in the book, Um, but she really focused on people's stories and experiences, sometimes starting like the day before or maybe even a little bit more background on the family, but just the circumstances that people found themselves in. From small cottages on the the beach to downtown Providence, Rhode Island. It covers just so much devastation. And I'm sitting here smiling, talking about the book, which just feels wrong because so many people died and so many people lost their livelihoods, but so many things came out of it, like air travel became more popular because of this hurricane, uh, because roads were completely washed away, railroad tracks were completely twisted and unusable. So people turned to planes to get places. I'll stop talking about it now because I could probably go on for an hour about this book. I highly recommend it. Sudden Sea, The Great Hurricane of 1938 by R.A. Scotty. We're down to our last two. Yes. We are. So my second to last book is Memorial by Brian Washington. This um, is actually Brian Washington's debut novel, but he had a short story collection that came out a couple of years ago called Lot. And Brian Washington was one of the recipients of the 35 and under from the National Book Award Committee. This is the story of a relationship from between Benson and Mike. They're a gay couple, a young gay couple. And Benson is a black man and Mike is a Japanese American. 
And the book starts, it's told in three parts, Benson's point of view, then Mike's point of view, and then back to Benson's point of view. Mike's mother is coming from Japan. He hasn't seen her in a couple of years, but Mike is going to leave on the same day she arrives because he's found out his father, who he has also not seen in a long time, is sick and dying. And so it becomes a conversation between Benson, who has never met Michael's mother and now is living in a one-bedroom apartment with her. Mm. And their relationship is on the rocks right before Michael leaves. And they're trying to figure out what that means, what's going to happen next. But then Benson's creating a relationship with Michael's mom. Uh, And it's very, very well done. And Michael goes home, the second section, he's in Japan. His father owns a bar and he's rebuilding a relationship that's been 14 years in the dust. And it's about like determining what a relationship means to you. And then he comes home and what is going to happen between Benson and Mike. It's all about relationships. Mm-hmm. Brian Washington has such, such a unique dissonance in his writing. It just rings so unique. And he has such a way of using so few words to get so much out of them. Mm-hmm. And the relationships between the, the characters themselves, their relationship as it flashes back you figure out why they fell in love and maybe why they're falling out of love and also the relationships with their families and how important that is to who we become and the book just leaves you with a sense of relationships are hard and you you don't know you don't know what they're going to look like in the future there's no planning but that may be okay i devoured this book i thought it was brilliant yeah, and I cannot, cannot stop thinking about it. So that's Memorial by Brian Washington. Oh, that just makes me sweat. Like the idea of one of my kids, like going to one of their apartments with their partner who I don't know and just ha- like, <laughs> I'm shy, you know, especially when I don't know people. I just, I literally felt sweaty when you were talking about that. I couldn't even imagine. Yeah, I couldn't imagine, but it's so well done. It sounds really interesting. Yeah. 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 I've seen that one. I think Ryan really liked, I think that was one of his top fives also, it wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of which people are doing their top fives. That seems impossible to me. <laughs> that would be tough. Yeah. That would be really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not to be boring, but I have another food memoir as <laughs> my next one. I had a good reading year of food memoirs. There was a lot of really good ones. This one is called Everything is Under Control, a memoir with recipes by Phyllis Grant. This book was so unusual. I read it in one sitting. It's written a lot like poetry. She weaves in her past life with her grandparents and then her current life with her children and her becoming a chef, even though she doesn't know what she's doing, which was amazing to me. I think it's really interesting when people step foot into a kitchen, kind of a like a high level kitchen and just are willing to learn as they go, you know, learn on the job. Food is definitely at the center of the book. And there are a lot of great recipes at the end. It's about her children and motherhood and learning to be a cook. Everything is under control. A memoir with recipes by Phyllis Grant. Emily, there's nothing boring about food. And I have been to Emily's house and eaten her food and it's delicious. So thank you, Russell. (laughs) You're so sweet. You're a sweet talker. There's Um, only two cards left, Chris. I know there's not much, not much (laughs) happening here. I'm going to go with one more nonfiction 
it ended up, I ended up having five nonfiction and five fiction, which I didn't plan, but it just kind of came out that way. This is a book that just came out December 2020 from Seal Press. It's Mediocre, The Dangerous Legacy of White Male America by Ijeoma Aluo. I read an advanced e-copy, which I am very appreciative to have had that. It is another book I want to get my hands on the physical copy to look at footnotes and, and things like that. It's only 304 pages, but she covers so much ground in that it just seems like it's it should be a much longer book, even though it reads very quickly. What she wants to do in this book is to kind of look at the cost of white male mediocrity and the harm that it has done to not only people of color and women, but to men themselves. In some ways, it, it almost seems like most white men are being hoodwinked into thinking that they are supreme for being white men because the one percenters want it that way. So white men who are struggling to make ends meet are told that it's the immigrants who are taking your jobs. You know, it's the women who need to stay home and quit working. This is one of those books too, where it was just full of a lot of historical stuff that like, for example, Wilson, Woodrow Wilson, the president, he actually reversed so many of the so much of the progress that was made during Reconstruction, he actually had African-American men removed from their positions and replaced by white people, by white men, I should say, when other white guys complained that they didn't want to have to work with these African-American men. And, you know, I've read biographies of Wilson that didn't portray him as a champion of people of color, but some of those details just weren't even in his biographies. Hmm. But it's a great book. And so what she what she's saying is that we need to look at the harm that's been done so that we can actually start making a plan to make things better. This is a book I could go on and on and on about, but I'll just read this paragraph here. She's talking about white men. She says, they are missing something vital, an intrinsic sense of self that is not tied to how much power or success they can hold over others. And that whole is eating away at them. I can only imagine how desolately lonely it must feel to only be able to relate to other human beings through conquer and competition. The love, admiration, belonging, and fulfillment they have been promised will never come. It cannot exist for you when your success is tied to subjugation of those around you. These white men are filled with anger, sadness, and fear over what they do not have, what they believe has been stolen from them. But she said one of the things is like we have to use our imaginations more to solve this problem so that everyone can express their humanity and contribute to society and all the good that that could bring. It's a complicated well, book. It is. It, yeah. It's. I think it's. it should be required reading for everyone, I think, because it's thought-provoking. She does believe that if we can put our imaginations to work, we can make a more just society. Sounds heavy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I, I like, it also sounds hopeful though, that she does think that there's some solutions and I like reading books like that. Yeah. Well, that's what she said. Like she says, you know, white men are not born that way. Obviously no one is born to hate certain groups of people. It's all stuff that we're taught. Mm -hmm. And, and obviously there's just so much pain when people feel like their existence is 
based on conquering and lording it over other people. Well, it's and very similar to um, Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast, mm -hmm. and her discussion regarding that system and why that's in place here. Yeah, really important book. Absolutely. Um, this was Mediocre, The Dangerous Legacy of White Male America by Ijeoma Aluo. All right, drum roll. It's Russell's number one book of the year. Yes. I can't wait. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, this is my number one book of the year. And when I finished this book, I said, I think my favorite book of all time has been replaced. Wow. So um, my book of the year is Real Life by Brandon Taylor. Mm. Um, this is the story of a young gay black man in an unnamed Midwestern university town. He is getting his PhD in, I think, microbiology. Brandon Taylor has his undergrad in science and he left science to become a writer. The whole book takes place over a single weekend and it is about him dealing with racism, sexism, misogyny, like pointed back at him inexplicably. Like, um, and it's just literally about his relationship as the only black man in a world of white people. This was a book club book for Emily and I as well. And this book ripped me apart. Um, I have never read anything so beautifully written. Wallace as a character, I will never forget him. Um, it made me cry, it made me think, and it just was so viscerally real. Like, real life seems like an on-the-nose title, but in the same time, I think this experience has happened, and it is real. It is truly real. And Brandon Taylor is a phenomenal writer. I have not read anything like this in my entire life. He has a new collection of short stories coming out next year and I am chomping <laughs> a bit <laughs> um, to get it. And he is just lovely. And every time he likes one of my Instagram photos, I literally do like this little heart flutter because <laughs> so, I have such an author crush on him. I just think he's so amazing. It is a challenging book. There are trigger warnings for some sexual assault issues, youth, um, that kind of stuff. But this, I, I feel like this is a book that tells a real story and you have to sort of get past that because there are men and women who experience stuff like this day in and day out. And he just, he encapsulates the black experience like no other writer that I've ever read. So that is Real Life by Brandon Taylor and hands down, probably my favorite book of all time. Wow, really, really good book. High yeah. praise indeed. Yeah. And just to give Russell a little bit more praise, the reading of the book, the experience of it for me was definitely made better by reading it with my book club. Um, the conversation that we had around it, I think, was really- We're very lucky for our book club. It definitely yeah. is one of the high points of my reading life, so. Yeah, yeah, that's a great book. I probably could have guessed that was your number one, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. My number, well, no, not my number one. My last of my top 10 is Wintering, How I Learned to Flourish When Life Became Frozen by Catherine May. I listened to this on audio and it was narrated by Rebecca Lee. 
I just finished this one a couple of weeks ago, I think. And I definitely am going to get the hard copy of it. I actually tried to get it for myself as my holiday gift, but it was sold out at the bookstore that I went to. So I've got to try that again. It's really a contemplative, thoughtful book and perfect for this time that we're all living through during this global pandemic. And for some of us in some parts of the country entering the winter season, it was the perfect time for me to read it. She really talks about the fallow periods that we have in our life and compares taking time out to how the natural world does that, how they prepare for winter. She, you know, she uses lots of other different examples of, of ways that people try to meditate or become contemplative in their life. And she really talks about the restorative power of rest and retreat. And I think that's something that, although it's been a really tough year, a lot of us have really learned that when you slow down and you, your life isn't packed with as much as it typically is, that as much as I do miss aspects of that, there's also some really lovely parts to having that removed in your life, you know? Mm -hmm. So this book, I feel like came out, she obviously didn't write it knowing we were entering a global pandemic because the book came out this year, but perfect timing for it. I highly recommend it. And I'm, like I said, I'm going to get the hard copy and start doing a bunch of highlighting. Wintering, How I Learned to Flourish When Life Became Frozen by Catherine May. Nice. I've been hearing nothing but good things about that. Yeah. So, so my last index card, my last book is uh, Ring Shout by P. Jelly Clark. This came out in October 2020 from Tor.com. It is a short novel, but it is just a fantastic read. It's fantasy and I don't read much fantasy, but, and I'm not making any commitments really to 2021 or not too many. But one of the things is I do want to read more fantasy now because of this. It starts off with these three women who are on top of a building. It takes place in the 1920s in Georgia. And they're, they seem to be a little bit of a ragtag group. They're three African-American women who are hunting something from atop this building. And there's a clan rally going on down below. And I don't want to say too much about the story because it could be easily spoiled. And so these three women are part of this group that are, are a resistance against the growing of the clan. There's also this butcher who's moved to town who is part of the story. And then there's also these fantasy elements. One of the main characters has these like three godmother fairy type people who she goes to see magically she also has a sword that appears when she needs it it's just a great story it, it brings in our white supremacist past the racism sexism some class issues and really just the damage that hate does to people it's a good read it's so short but you I mean, it's 192 pages. So I mean, it's physically short, but when you're done, you do not feel like you just read a short novel. It is so packed full of adventure and interesting ideas and some historical tidbits that um, I think you could give this book to anyone and they would enjoy it unless they have like no sense of imagination. <laughs> so Chris, if I had a top 15, Ring Shout would 100% have been in a top 15. Yeah. It was right there. I have read 
P. P. Jelly Clark has three novellas out. I have read every one of them. Nice. He is phenomenal. He has one called The Haunting of Tramcar 15 set in Cairo, Egypt. And he has a new one coming out about a woman, like spy investigator called something, something Fatima. I can't remember. That book is phenomenal. Yeah, I've only read one other short story by him so far, um, but I, I plan on reading everything out by him. I was kind of being funny about somebody who doesn't have imagination. I know we all do, but some people just don't want anything that isn't hardcore reality. Yeah. Um, but this one is definitely steeped in reality. So it might give people who are usually totally steeped in reality a fun little escape. It's yeah. an adventure story. And it got totally some women is. that kick some butt. Yep. And it's a crisis, you know, it's one of those, like they're trying to prevent a big thing from happening. So it's a thriller in that way. It has a little bit of everything, mystery, thriller, fantasy, romance. Yeah. Yeah. So that was Rank Shout by P. Jelly Clark. So everyone, that's 30 books. Yes. (laughs) And we have some exciting news about episode 120. We do a giveaway every 10th episode. And this is the 10th episode. So what we're planning on doing is the winner of this giveaway will get to choose any three of these books that are on any of our lists. You can pick three from Russell, three from Emily, three from me, one from each, combine them however you want. But any of these 30 books are up for grabs. And if you subscribe- Yes, we think so. (laughs) And if you subscribe to our newsletter, you're automatically entered to win. And you can, if you aren't already subscribed, go to bookcougars.com. And there's a link there, a little tab where you can subscribe to the newsletter. And I guess we should have a date, Chris. What do you think? Well, this episode goes out when? January what? January 5th. So So let's say we'll announce the winner on the 10th. Which just happens to be my birthday. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Are you up for working on your birthday? I'm a Capricorn, Chris. I work every day. (laughs) No, it's an easy day for me to remember. I love it. Good. Okay, great. Yeah. So everybody subscribe by January 10th, if you haven't already, and then the winner will be notified by email and you'll get to choose three of these books. Russell, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was really so much fun. I'm so sad, ladies, that there's no more book expo because that was our thing to get together, getting me all the way over to your neck of the woods. So I'm going to have to just come and camp out and we'll have to do bookstore stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, we can come up with something fun. I don't think we'd have any trouble with that. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It was super fun. Thanks, Russell. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, we wish you lots of happy reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Until then, come chat with us on social media or on our Goodreads group. And if you'd like to contact us directly, email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone.